Well, greetings, church. All right, I got three of you. Greetings, church. All right, it is good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Mark 7 today? In a moment, we're going to take a look and prayerfully learn from Jesus about an example of what ministry looks like in verses 31 through 37. But before we do, I just want to remind you that we are fully reopened here at this location. I'm super excited about that. This summer, we are going to be rebuilding. And this fall, we're actually going to launch something called church groups. And I just want to make sure you're aware of it. But we have found through a survey we did a couple years ago that a lot of people in the church today do not feel connected. And we believe with all our hearts, one of the main ways you can feel connected to your local body and to serve and to be a part of is to be in a church group. That's a place where you meet somewhere outside of Sunday mornings in this worship gathering where you study the Word of God, you spend time fellowshipping and in prayer. And so know that's coming. And another significant date, especially for members, is on June 30th, we are going to vote for some new elders. And something that I'm really pleased to tell you about is that our elders are picking three names to put forward, and they're doing video bios so that you can know who these men are in advance. Now, I will tell you, having sat in the church as a member in 2007 through 2012, a lot of times I would see these names on a list, and I wasn't sure who they were. And so we've heard the critiques from the people as leaders, and we're trying to do a much better job to make you informed so you can vote. And so this is not me politicking for a name. This is me telling you to look for these names and really spend some time in prayer and asking God if this is who you believe through God's word, that this person should be one of our future elders in our church. So please take note of that. Now, what I've learned is that before you dive into a text in a one-off sermon, it's really good to build a foundation upon the word. And so what I want to do is just give you a little bit of groundwork on the gospel of Mark. So one, it's considered the earliest gospel written, and that's significant. And then most Bible scholars would agree that Mark, a relative of Barnabas, was really getting his information from Peter. So a lot of people call this Peter's account or Peter's gospel. Now, I will tell you this. I grew up in church. I was that little boy when I was five years old in my grandpa's church. I went forward. I was so excited to make a decision for Christ. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but I pulled on my grandpa's suit jacket and I said, I'm here to get advertised. Well, I meant baptized, but you know, I was just fired up to be there. And then later on, when I was in the youth group, and uh, pretty much the similar age as Colin, around 16, I realized, I'm not sure if I'm a follower of Christ. So I put a stake in the ground. But the verse that hit me like a lightning bolt was Mark 10, 45. And it really changed the course of my life from being 16 and going forward. And it says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the Gospel of Mark focuses on Christ as a servant. And there's two themes in this first, service and sacrifice. And the entire book unpacks multiple examples of how Jesus lived this out. And I also love how the Gospel of Mark is action-packed. One of the key words you're going to see over and over is immediately. And so it's just like all these stories that are so exciting, there's so much taking place, and you're just trying to keep up with the words and the works of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Mark is doing. And Mark is also writing, according to you know, how the Holy Spirit's working through him, for the main audience, which is the Romans. And so they appreciated this straight-shooting, storytelling kind of uh, motif, if you will, because 
They were not interested in genealogies or history like Matthew was trying to educate the Jewish people. They wanted just the facts because they were a busy people. So they were like, give me the facts so I can understand what's going on. But just as in Jesus' day, we're busy too, aren't we? Man, that's one of the, the main things I hear over and over. Like, Pastor, I know you're busy, but I'm like, I know you're busy too. But I want to make time to listen to people. So we all know we're busy. And we also know the world is filled with people that are struggling, don't we? If it's not ourselves, we certainly know other people that are struggling, they're hurting, and we know that the church could come alongside and help these people. And sometimes we might even think it would be better if Jesus were here to do one-on-one ministry. But in God's infinite wisdom, he chooses to work in us and through us with the Holy Spirit so that we could have that privilege. Now, I've identified a problem today, and my prayer is that the Word of God will help us unpack that problem and better understand it. And it's this, if we know there are people hurting and we know the church can help, why are there so many spectators in the church today? Now, I could summarize all the books I've read, but most would say, at best, a healthy church has 10% of the congregation serving in some capacity. That's 10%. What would it look like if a church had 50% of the people serving or 100%? I personally think we could step up to the plate and we could have a lot more than 10% of the local body of Christ serving his people. Now, this isn't just some theory that I have read about. It's also something I've practiced and lived out. I was a spectator in a church we belonged to in San Diego. Matter of fact, I remember sitting in the church one time and thinking, you know, this church isn't very friendly. And I started critiquing the church. And then something unusual happened. As I spent some quiet time with the Lord, The Lord kind of tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, the reason the church isn't friendly is because you're not friendly, and you're not doing anything, Todd. And so I did something that was very magnificent. I joined the table chair setup team, and do you know what happened after I started setting up tables and chairs? That church became friendly. Now, obviously, the church didn't change, right? It was my own heart that changed because I got involved with the work of God. And was it profound? No, I was setting up chairs and tables with a bunch of senior saints. But I tell you what, some of the best relationships I ever had, and I learned so much from those men as we set up tables and chairs. And so today, it's my prayer that you would listen to the Word of God, and that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, and that you would respond in obedience how He reveals how you can live out an example of ministry just like Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 31 of Mark 7. This is the word of God. Then he returned from the region of Turas and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, That is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I pray that you would 
bind all distractions from our hearts, and you would allow us to sit under your word now. Father, I pray that everything that is said and done would glorify your great name and that you would draw people to yourself. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so allow me to guide you briefly through each verse, and then I'm going to do my very best to show you what's going on in their town, and then we're going to build a bridge, and we're going to see how we can apply it in our world today. Jesus is doing ministry in Gentile areas, and if you look at the map, you'll realize he just encountered a woman in modern-day Lebanon, which is Turas. You'll see that coastal town on the far left there. And then he begins to travel north, but before he gets up there, he does more ministry, and then he returns to the Sea of Galilee through an unusual route, certainly not the quickest one, and eventually he lands in a place called, or a region called Decapolis, which literally means a place of ten cities. Now, in Mark 5, we learned that he had been there before, and he did a wonderful healing of a man that was demon-possessed. And if you remember the story, he cast the demons into a herd of pigs. They went nuts. They ran into the sea, and they all drowned. And so, pretty cool story. But for multiple reasons, the people asked Jesus to leave the area after that event. Now, having returned, the Gentiles have now heard about Jesus, possibly from the man who was healed, and they were lining up to witness him perform many more miracles. Look at verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. First, how great is it that these people brought this man to Jesus Christ? That alone could preach all by itself. But secondly, don't go too quickly by the word begged. Do you know what the word begged means in the original language? It means begged. They did not go up and just casually ask Jesus to heal him. They begged him. They pleaded with him. It was heartfelt because they cared enough to bring this man to the feet of Jesus. It's also good to spend time thinking about this miracle from the man's point of view. Think about this. Having a disability today is challenging. Having a disability in the first century would have been incredibly difficult. So much so that he would have been an outcast and he certainly would have been scorned. The last thing this man wanted was to be the center of attention with these large crowds all around him. Now, that leads us to the first example of the ministry of Jesus and how he performs it. The touch of Jesus. Look at verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. So Jesus did something a little bit different here. In the past, he had done a lot of miracles publicly but he decided to bring this man aside privately. And then he did what you might say is a primitive form of sign language, where he let him know what he was going to do by sticking his fingers in his ears. And then after spitting, he touched his tongue to let him know he was going to restore his speech. I think, personally, that this man uh, was probably sitting on the fence of between being emotionally excited that maybe he's going to be healed and, oh no, another person who thinks they're going to fix me. And so I'm sure he was struggling. But I know this might seem unusual to us when we see this, but this was a very common practice on how people went about trying to help others back then. Think about today. If you took a first century person and you took them into a doctor's office and you started wheeling a blood pressure machine to them, they would probably be a little bit anxious, wouldn't they? Because that's unusual and that's not normal. But the way Jesus was going about this was not unusual. And I think it really shows his heart on how he cared for this man to let him know in advance what he was going to do. And that leads us to verse 34, to the look of Jesus. 
And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Eph hatha, that is, be open. So by looking to heaven, Jesus showed the man who lived in a pagan world that worshipped false idols where the healing was going to come from. And I wonder now if the man was hopeful or skeptical. And I'd like to think his heart was racing, that he was about to be restored. And along with the look of Jesus, we also see the sigh of Jesus. It's a quick word. You can go right by it. But think about reading or watching the news. How many of you have sighed or groaned deeply in your spirit when you read or you watch something? Oftentimes, I have to read the news because watching it is just too emotional for me. There are too many things going on in our lost and broken world. Perhaps you have heard of a family member or a friend, and again, it has hurt you so deeply by what they're going through that you just audibly sigh. That's what's going on with Jesus. His heart is broken for this man, and he's also broken for the world and how sin has corrupted it. The first word that this man hears is ephatha. This is an Aramaic word, and so Mark translated it quickly for the readers who only knew Greek by saying it means open, and it means to be fully opened. So both the look and the side demonstrate God's power and his compassion. But notice what happens with the word of Jesus. Look at verse 35. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. When Jesus spoke, the word literally means the bondage over the man's ears and tongue were removed, as if they were in chains, and now they're removed. Even more incredible is the fact that he could hear and speak perfectly. Now, we don't know how old he was, but the Bible indicates he wasn't a child. He was a man, so let's at least round up and say he was in his 20s, and he didn't need speech therapy he hit the ground running. I'll also say, uh, I don't want to geek out too much on the grammar, but the verb for spoke appears in the imperfect tense, meaning the man started to speak, and he kept on speaking. I wonder if you have a few family members or friends uh, that have lived out this verb today, or at least one of you. I imagine he had a lot on his mind, and I'm sure uh, he was so excited to be able to speak perfectly, and I'm sure he was just proclaiming his love for Jesus. And it's also a reminder that our God doesn't do things halfway. This should come as no surprise for God's children. For Jesus is the one who created the universe that we discover in John 1, and he upholds it by the power of his word according to Hebrews 1. So now turning our attention to the last two verses, we see our Lord's instructions take an ironic turn. In Mark 5, he tells the man to go tell people what the Lord has done. But here he gives specific instructions to the man and to the people around him to tell no one. Verse 36, And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This miracle is but one of many that the prophet speaks about in Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Imagine being the man or one of the bystanders who witnessed this incredible healing, then being told by Jesus to tell no one. I take comfort in how true to life the Bible is, and specifically this story. The man having his hearing restored immediately disobeys God. I wonder how many of us have received some wonderful things from God. And in the very same day, 
disobey the same God who did wonderful things on our behalf. But before we jump on the judgment wagon, who hasn't been thrilled to share some good news? Now, there's lots of examples I can give you. For instance, we have a third grandbaby coming on the way. But for those who are grandparents, one of the things you struggle with is when they tell you, okay, you get to know, but you don't get to tell anybody else. And you're like, are you kidding? This is good news. But then maybe a more vivid example, one that it's been maybe four or five years since I've shared with the church, but it's very fitting, is about my wife. You see, in case you don't know me and you don't know my bride, I met my beautiful bride when we were teenagers at a university. And strategically, I thought, let's study 1 Corinthians together, knowing that down the road, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, would come up, and we'd be able to just talk about that kind of love. Then I even got a crazier idea as a teenager. So you'll forgive the teenage brain here. And for those of you that are teenagers, this is not necessarily something I recommend. But I thought it would be a brilliant move to declare my love for her to her family. But in an unusual fashion. You see, my wife is a full-blooded Choctaw. And so I drove to Oklahoma late one night, after everybody should be in bed, and I climbed up on their roof, and I decided to do a war dance by the chimney. Now, in my mind, I thought this was brilliant and that I would be greeted with applause. A few moments later, the screen door did open. And do you know what happened? I did not receive applause. Instead, her dad shot at me with a gun. Not once, not twice, but three times. And I did not need to be taught how to duck. And this was also before cell phones. So I ran to a gas station and I found a payphone. This is an ancient invention for you younger people where you put money in it and you get to call people. And so I called the house, and do you know what? She wasn't even there. She was babysitting, and her sister said, I can't say exactly what she said, but she said, you were quite dumb, and you should probably not come over tonight. And I agreed. But I did make amends, and my father-in-law, being a pastor, somehow worked that into every illustration when I was present in his church. <laughs> but here's the deal. I was so excited to tell people that I loved this woman, get ahead of myself, been chasing her for 35 years, and I wanted the world to know. But you know what? As much as I love my wife, there is even better news to, to proclaim, and it's the good news, and it's called the gospel. And so today, if you're exploring Christianity, and you're here, and you don't know about the Lord Jesus and what he's done, I have some good news for you, and it's right from God's word. You see, the Bible teaches us that God created us to be with him. That's good news, isn't it? But the Bible also teaches us that our sin separates us from a holy God. Every one of us, our sin separates us from a holy God. And to make matters worse, our sins cannot be removed by good deeds. And we struggle with this in the West. Boy, we are taught from very young ages that if you do something, you get something. But that is not what the Bible teaches about salvation. But God knew that, and that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life for you and for me. He went to the cross willingly, and he took our punishments that we deserved. And the best news of all is that God did not leave him dead, but that he raised him from the dead three days later. And this is the part I get so excited about with every man, woman, boy, and girl I meet. Everyone who places their faith and trust in what Jesus does can have eternal life, and it can begin today. You don't need to clean yourself up to come to the cross. You simply need to acknowledge what Jesus has done and place your faith and trust in him. 
That's the gospel. That's the good news. That should wake you up in the morning and be so excited to tell this world about the hope you have in Christ. Now, there are two important differences in these healings that I want to briefly mention. The first man was commissioned to be a missionary in that region and to tell people about Jesus. The man from our text is now living when the news of Jesus and his miracle working power was widespread. So much so that some commentators would say that there was a euphoria resulting in epic crowds, so much so that it could have impaired the work of Jesus. But Jesus knew this, didn't he? I mean, he's God Almighty. And a matter of fact, if you get ahead in Mark, in Mark 8, verse 30 through 31, you will see why Jesus came. And he strictly charged them, and this is him talking to his disciples after Peter acknowledged who he was, to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. This is a wonderful reminder that our Jesus is not a victim. He's a victor, and he knew exactly why he came. He came for you, and he came for me. Okay, there are so many more things I'd love to share with you, but I want to serve you just one meal you can digest. But some of you might be thinking, all right, Todd, cool story, but how do I apply this to my world today? And if you're asking that, it's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it. I think I have a solution for you. You may want to write these down. From our text, Jesus gives us an example of ministry, a few of them. And one of the things he does, it's not written down, but is observed through the passage in all the Gospels, is that Jesus takes time for those in need. Jesus takes time for those in need. And every one of us can take time to help others. We don't need incredible talents or superpowers. It requires paying careful attention and being aware of other people. Sometimes, to be honest, it can be overwhelming when you are aware of all the needs around you. It can cause depression, and it can overwhelm us. But I believe with all my heart, as God's children, we are called to take time to care for others. Simply starting with one person. Start with one and care about them. And one way every child of God can take time to care for other people is to pray for them. Now, we talk about prayer, and we profess that it's important, but few people do it. And I would say the church at large is not very good at prayer. We desperately need to spend time with God in prayer. We want to model it for you as pastors, and we certainly want to spend time on our faces before the Lord because we desperately need Him. I remember reading a book called Crazy Love, behind some sandbags in Afghanistan. And there were so many different things in this book that convicted me. But one of them was Francis Chan's mother-in-law. You see, Francis Chan and his wife, they kept inviting her to go to the ballet or the movie theater, or all these fun family things. But she said, oh no, if the Lord returns, I want to be found on my knees in prayer. And I was like, wow. I was like, that's quite an example from a very godly woman. And she impacted him greatly in his own walk. So let me say, you may want to start with concentric circles in your own prayer life. Pray in detail for family members. Care enough about them to spend time lifting them up in prayer. We discussed this in our church group last week, that we as a people are very good at showing courtesy and love to strangers and people we barely know, but sometimes we can be so harsh with the people who love us the most. 
the very people that would do anything for us, we can be very impatient with and spend little time praying for. My encouragement to you is to show and tell them how much you love them by going before God's throne and praying for them. But don't stop there. Pray for your friends. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for people in your church. Pray for your pastors. We desperately need your prayers. And then pray for the missionaries around the world. On the very front column, when you walk out today, I hung a new picture up today of Nick and June. If you remember, we commissioned Nick and June just a few months ago. They were in Ghana, and they left everything here to try to rescue children from slavery. And so the least we can do is lift up Nick and June. And I was texting him this morning, and he said, Brother, we desperately need your prayers. Let's not forget the men and women who are going overseas or who are already there. Let's lift them up in prayer. And along with taking time and praying for others, we also need to promote the freedom we have in Christ. Through this pandemic, I led many men in Bible studies on Zoom, and the last book we went through was Galatians, which the whole theme of Galatians is being free. Being free and knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. And what I've observed in my life is that many people can become rigid in their walk with God, and there are many reasons for it. You may have scars from the past, things that have broken your heart. There may be things that have been done to you or things that you have done. Some people may have prison records. Some people may have medical diagnosis. There's a lot of things that can bound us up and cause us not to live a life of freedom that is found in Christ. But regardless, letting these things bind you up, thinking about them, dwelling them on them too much from your past will not allow you to live a life of joy that is found in Jesus Christ. And often, these past hurts can cause you to restrict others from living joyfully too. This is one of the saddest outcomes. You may be thinking, thanks Todd for the depressing update. What's the solution? May I suggest that the best way forward is to take your freedom in Christ and live on mission and set other people free too. Think about it. One of the most amazing things you can do is to help people know who they are in Christ. And if they don't know Christ, learn how to share your faith. Learn how to talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. And then share the good news with them. You don't have to have all the answers, but they will certainly recognize a changed life. Let them know what Jesus Christ has done for you. And encourage others and give them room to fail and then be there to help them get back up. Is it messy? You bet. Does it take time? You know it does. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Let me close by making this very practical for those who call Prince William their local church. We need you. We need each and every one of you to step up and serve. And many of you already are serving, and we're so grateful for what you're doing. But some of you are here as spectators. And I know this is not the most popular thing to say as a pastor, but I am asking you and telling you we need you. We need the church to be the church. This is not something just a few people on staff can do. We have, before the pandemic, over 1,200 people here. There are simply too many people to be sitting in the grandstands watching. Imagine what it would look like, this church, if more than 50 people gave their time on Sunday to serve and to care for others. What could we accomplish? I'll tell you what, I'm excited and I'm very optimistic that people will step up and serve. This means seniors and those who are retired, let there be no confusion 
Sometimes you'll hear people in the senior community say, well, the church doesn't value us. And this pastor and this church, we value our seniors. We love you, and I consider you the greatest resource the church has. Your experience is a goldmine worth of information. And I tell you what, to see you lead by example can change lives forever. But, well, and before I go on, let me encourage you too. Ron Bowen is one of our lay pastors, and he wrote a book called Soaring Into Heaven. And it's a challenge specifically for seniors. I highly encourage you to get it. But it's not just seniors. It's adults of all stages of life. Married, single, divorced, widowed. It's all about you stepping up and serving in the church. We need you. And the goal is not to check a box on Sunday so that God knows you attend. Rather, it's to live a life of worship by serving and sacrifice that we learned about in Mark 10.45 earlier. Along with seniors and those retired adults of all stages, we need the youth as well. Tell you what, for those of you that don't know me, I started off with the Rock Student Ministries at Tyson's, and I gladly told everyone that I would have still been serving in the student ministry with a walker if they would have let me. But somehow they sent me out here, and that's why I treat this church congregation like a giant youth group. It's the only thing I know to do. So I love student ministry, and students, we love and desperately need you to step up. We need your energy, some of us, more than others. And so we ask that you would step up and serve too. Some of my sweetest memories were serving as a teen in my local church growing up. From vacation Bible school to volunteering in the children's ministries, I had so much fun being with the children and pointing them to the Word of God. Now, here's a great reminder too. God does some amazing things for people who step up and serve. I don't know how to explain it, but the more you give, the more you receive. And this isn't just some kind of church slogan. It's a fact. You could talk to every man and woman in this church who serves, and somehow God meets you where you're at, and he restores you, and he gives you the ability to keep on serving him and his people. And you will feel so much closer. And if you happen to be sitting in our church body thinking it's an unfriendly body, I will tell you when you jump in and start serving, you'll realize that this church is actually not unfriendly. And God might just do a great work in your heart like he did on mine all those years ago. All right, so we have dozens of ways. My original tasking was actually to give you this fancy announcement sermon, but I just couldn't do that without spending a little time in the Word first. So let me give you some practical next steps if God's moving on your heart to serve in this local church body. One, we have a website where you can go to mcleanbible.org. And when you go there, you'll see all the different site locations. You can click on Prince William and click on Volunteer, and then you'll see this page that's up in front of you. And every one of those blue words is a hyperlink. It's a fancy word to learn a few years ago, and it'll take you to another website. And let me just highlight some of them. First, the next-gen ministry that Colin spoke of, Access, Kids Quest, and Rock Student Ministries. Access, I remember Pastor Lon, our previous senior teaching pastor, at his 35-year anniversary. He said he believed with all his heart the number one reason God has continued to bless this church is the heart for special needs children and adults. And I couldn't agree with him more. The, the heart behind that to care for our special needs community is huge. And we need men and women to serve in this capacity. So if God has given you that desire, please click on that link. And then Kids Quest. We recently went through some training as staff, and we have some very rigid standards that we have put in place for children's ministry. So much so that for us to continue to do children's ministry, we need 36 men and women to step up 
that are over the age of 18 to volunteer in student, not student, in children's ministry. We have to maintain a safe environment for children. So as much as we want to open everything up and love these children, we also need to keep them safe. So it's one thing to have a desire to have all these things restored, but no, I need men and women who will love on these children and keep them safe. So I'm giving you a very specific number. This isn't like three people that need to respond. This is 36 people. So you can click on there and donate your time. And I promise you, to pour into children is one of the greatest gifts you could ever have. And then student ministries, certainly Colin is your resource there. You can talk to him. Young adults, they're thriving. They consider themselves 18 through 30. You might be able to stretch that number out a little bit. You know, 40 is the new 30 and all that. But the young adult community is thriving, and they actually do a lot of leading by example. On Sunday evenings, oftentimes they'll go out to downtown Manassas and they'll do something called PI, which stands for Pizza, Intercessory Prayer, and Evangelism. And what they do is they go out, they have fellowship around some food, so it's not always pizza if you're not a pizza fan, but they break bread together and they have fellowship. And then they pray. They actually talk to God about people before they go out and talk to people about God. And then they do something really radical and biblical. They actually share their faith with complete strangers. Now that may terrify you, but there are men and women there that have done it, and they will go along with you and help you. But it's not something that we're suggested to do in the Bible. It's something we're commanded to do. And so they'll let, allow you to live that out. You will grow. We need men and women to step up to be leaders in Bible studies. You see that in the group leader. We need people to volunteer in the tech booth. All the sounds and lights and videos and things you see. We have men and women who are volunteers back there. And certainly we need more. So consider volunteering there. Then music and worship. I don't know about you, but I love the music that we have in our church. And these men and women, they don't just show up on Sunday and play. They come here on Wednesdays and they stay here till the wee hours practicing so that they can lead us faithfully in worship so that it's not a joyful noise as if your pastor was leading you. It actually sounds like music and it's pleasing. And so if you have those skills, please consider giving of your time so that you can lead us in worship. You see, weekend service teams, I could go on and on about that, but here's one stat that's very sobering. Most people will tell you in their books that a man or woman makes up their mind whether to come back to a church in the first seven minutes. That's before the first song. That's before you get greeted. That is the stuff that happens on the street, the sidewalk, in the foyer, before you ever sit down. I need men and women who would join me and be out there greeting people. And isn't it kind of wonderful to be greeted and loved on before you even get into a church building? I think it's pretty cool. And that's something I wouldn't give up for all the world. It's one of my most favorite things to do in this church. But I need more men and women to treat, uh, to join me in that. We even need people out on the sidewalks who can wave big old signs like, welcome to church. So you get the idea. It's very important that we step up and we serve. And there's so many more things. You can see the social media, the communications, photography. It would be awesome to have some people that got some skills that could actually take photos of baby dedications, baptisms, and the like. So you get the point. There's so much. But the last one I will share with, actually there's two. One, the previous service, uh, the, the whole congregation was packed, and we had a medical emergency in the balcony. And men and women who were volunteers on our medical response team, they swooped in. We had doctors, we had paramedics and EMTs, firemen, policemen, and they handled the situation. They were able to get the person out safely and packaged and put in an ambulance, and we're able to pray for this individual. And so this is another way you can serve if you have medical skills. 
or maybe you have security skills. Maybe you actually know how to take care of people uh, in case there's a physical problem. We need volunteers there. But one that is near and dear to my heart that I'll close with is Stephen's ministry. We have men and women who will train you to come alongside other men and women who are hurting, where you can walk alongside them in their deepest, darkest hours. I believe most of you are old enough to realize there's a point in our life where almost all of us need someone to walk alongside us when we're hurting. It's so important. And you do not have to have the skills. They will equip you and prepare you so you can serve in that capacity. But please consider signing up with Stephen's ministry and let them know, like, I'd love to get trained so I could care for people. Okay. So I didn't want this to be a giant announcement, but I wanted to put some needs on your hearts and to make sure it's very clear we need you. We need each and every one of you. And don't think you have to show up with all these skills. You can be someone like me back in the day where you just set up tables and chairs. It doesn't matter. Just show up and serve. I promise you God will bless you. We've seen how Jesus set an example of ministry in the first century and a few of the ways we can model his example by being a people who spend time in prayer for others, who actually care enough to set them free, to let them know who they are in Christ. And it also means us stepping up and serving in our local body of Christ. And for those of you who are serving, who have invested in this church, I thank you and I celebrate you. I am grateful. For those of you still sitting on the fence, I would ask that you would really spend some time in prayer and ask God to challenge you. And if this is your local church body, would you join us in the work of magnifying our great God? Following Jesus' example of ministry is one of the most wonderful things we can do. I think this text gives us one way to live it out. And years ago, when I first arrived here, we tried our very best to chart a course to where we would be a church that lived out Matthew 22, where we would love God and we would love others. And that is my prayer still today, that every man and woman in this church would love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might, with all their strength, and that they would love their neighbor as their self. Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray that your word would do a great work in our hearts. May it encourage us. May it challenge us. And for my brothers and sisters sitting on the fence, I actually pray that they would not be comfortable, that you would make them uncomfortable if they are not serving. And please let them know this is not just some local pastor pitching something about service, but that this is a biblical command, that we are to join in and model what Jesus did for us to live a life of service and sacrifice. Father God, may we be a people who live on mission. And Father, I also pray if there's a man, woman, boy, or girl here today that doesn't know you, that they would realize the gospel is good news and that today is the day of salvation. Father God, may you continue to be glorified as we worship you. In Jesus' name.